Are Kyrie and James Harden going to sign their extension? His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he resigns, the new reality is the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. So, he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have, back by popular demands, Corbin Ford of the Round Ball Ramble podcast, another Sports Ethos production. For those of you who listened last week, we basically did our um, future rankings where we ranked teams from 1 to 15. Basically, world teams stand over the next five years. So I don't want to spoil anything, but like I had the Oklahoma City Thunder on the top 15 just because of the embarrassment of riches they have in terms of assets. I had the Phoenix Suns number two, which honestly might have looked ambitious, but Obviously, now hindsight is easier than foresight. And so, yeah, Corbin is back today. So we're going to finish the team 16 through 30 that we have. And Corbin, did, did how did you enjoy the first exercise when we did part one of this? Did you learn anything? Or, I mean, uh, we were pretty similar in our thinking, I feel like. Yeah, we were. I think it was interesting just being able to kind of evaluate um, where we both saw teams, some of us, you know, me and you having, uh, I would say like-minded, both of us huge NBA fans, but also, you know, maybe having a different opinion of how we value contending teams, you know, that we think are going to be high in year one and two, but may not have the same strength in year five, or looking at teams that we may be, you know, higher on what they look like in the future, maybe year four or five, but don't really have the rosies of future looking now. So I thought it was interesting to kind of evaluate that from a team building perspective, both now and in the future, I think having the ability to kind of bounce off another great NBA mind like you is always a benefit. Yeah. And those, uh, I appreciate that. And basically there's no one way to build a championship contender. You see the golden state warriors who ended up losing Kevin Durant, but they got D'Angelo Russell in a sign and trade and then flipped him for Andrew Wiggins in a pick that they used to turn into um, I think that was a pick that they used to turn into Kaminga and they had the one year tank where they got wise men and they're willing to go deep into luxury tax to retain their guys. Meanwhile, a team like the Memphis Grizzlies is just, you know, outsmarting everyone, stockpiling assets, using their cap space, using their draft picks and, you know, keep adding that way. So there's no science to, you know, one way or the other, how to build a championship team. And I think that's the one thing that, you know, we kind of revealed in part one. Completely agree. Completely agree. And I'm, I'm excited to get into part two here. Okay. So then let's start with our number, my number 60 team. I actually might be a little bit too low on them, but I have the New Orleans Pelicans. And I think I'm too low on them because a lot of this has to do with the health of Zion Williamson. That's obviously, you know, the elephant in the room for them. Um, and honestly... I know the CJ McCollum trade catapulted them into the playoffs when I believe they started the year what, like two and 15 or something atrocious like that. Yep, three and 15. Uh, yep. So, sure, CJ McCollum got them in the play in. And then as a result, they got into the playoffs, took Phoenix to five games, or took Phoenix to six games, excuse me. But I, I just don't love their cap sheet. I mean, Assuming you give Zion, I'm assuming Zion's going to get close to the rookie max extension. I envision him getting something similar to what Joel Embiid got coming off his his rookie year after missing his first years in the league, where it's like an injury incentivized contract where as long as he plays 60 games, it's going to be almost a full max. So I'm just looking at that contract, and when you incorporate that, this team's going to be a luxury tax team with that CJ McCollum contract, with that Ingram contract, with the Valanciunas. Devontae Graham wasn't even in the playoff rotation. They were paying him $47 million over four years. Um, I just, I don't envision a small market like them that is known for not having a huge fan base to, you know, um, to be able to sustain paying the luxury tax. 
So I, I, I just don't think this roster is going to be kept together, if that makes sense. I get what you mean. I mean, what moving part do you think is going to happen? Because I think you definitely keep Zion. Brandon Ingram is just 25, locked up long-term. He is a cornerstone there. And you just traded for CJ McCollum. I doubt he moves. So it's really what a Jonas Valanciunas guys kind of between the lines there. I mean, you have affordable contracts for both Jose Alvarado as well as Herb Jones. Herb Jones, and excuse Trey me. Murphy. And Trey Murphy as well. So, like, I think they're pretty locked in. Like, it's not like they're going to add a lot of pieces you know, um, after the, the pick they have here in, in this in this year's draft. And at the same time, like, I don't know who else they're going to lose outside of Jonas, which is probably only to give them some cap relief. And let's face it, like, by the time he goes, I think Zion could play five more or less full-time. I'm not so sold about Zion playing the five full-time. Well, we'll have to see how, um, how his knees hold up, how his athleticism stays the same. I, I, we haven't seen him in a year, so I, I don't know. But I, I'm looking at, again, I'm looking at the sheet though at $141 million next year with 14 guaranteed contracts. So they have the one roster spot for either if they want to use a second round pick on a two-way and then sign one guy. But yeah, you're right. They're all locked in. They won't be a tax paying team next year. But once that Zion extension kicks in, it's going to get pretty ugly. And I just don't know in the West. I know the West had a down year, but with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. coming back, with Kawhi Leonard coming back. Dallas is improving. I'm sure they'll get a second guy. Utah might blow it up, but that's a story for another day. Um, You'd imagine the Lakers are back contending. I don't know what Phoenix is going to do, but they're not going to roll over and die. There's just, there's so many good teams right now. And I just don't, I just don't like teams being that expensive in a small market when they're not like, a Memphis, or they're not a Denver, or they're not a Milwaukee, if that makes sense. It does, but let me ask you a question. With what we saw them do right now, mind you, I mean, your miles may vary on the Suns, given how they collapse here in the in the second round. But when you look at how they push Phoenix, you know, without having one of their main players, they're having only half the season of season McCollum, now, and, and their young players still just finding a role. Now you have a full training camp, a notch on the belt of these young guys, a healthy Zion, a year with CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram getting more time to gel over the offseason. Like, this team is going to get better. I, I just, I think that they're not they're not where Memphis is, no. But how far off do you think they are? I think they're closer than more, most people would think. Yeah, it's definitely a fair argument. I just, I don't know. When I'm doing rankings like these, you definitely need to nitpick. Because there's a lot. I mean, these guys are professionals at running front offices, so uh, majority of them do a good job. I'm I'm not gonna, you know, pick anybody out of the crowd and say you suck at your job. But obviously, some people do it better than others. So with with that said, um, the Pelicans. I don't know. I was always skeptical that Zion Williamson. I always said he's going to be the first guy to turn down his rookie extension. And which I, I guess Chris Osposing is kind of he requested a trade and then signed the rookie extension. But I, I just didn't think Zion wanted to be in New Orleans long term. Now with his health, he's gonna lock up the most guaranteed money he can get. So I, I think that does change things a little bit. Absolutely. I agree. And I also I think that more even more than that, maybe it's him taking, of course, insurance on himself injury-wise, but also I think he saw what the um what the uh, Pelicans are cooking, and then he likes it. Yeah, and again, I know I'm kind of crapping on them right now, but I can't really blame them. I mean, they, they did look significantly better after CJ McCollum trade. They had a rookie head coach. Mm-hmm. Brandon Ingram really played well in the playoffs, so we'll have to see how that transpires. My next team is number 17. I have the San Antonio Spurs. Okay. As I said, some of the... um. I use six factors to basically make these rankings. The roster as it stands, the assets I have to play, the salary cap, front office and ownership, coaching, and the markets. Now, San Antonio organization-wise, front office-wise, coaching-wise, I mean, coaching-wise, I don't know because Popovich could retire any year now at this point, but just they're a very well-ranked, competent organization they always have been. So you have to give them an option on the belt for there. You have to give them a notch on the belt for cap space. They're going to go into this offseason with significant and upward of about $40 million. 
And then draft equity and assets, they had three first-round picks this year. So I, I guess I knock them so much because I just don't believe in the talent currently on their roster. Okay. Because I, I think we saw the bet. DeJounte Murray was awesome that this year. I'm not going to take that away from him. I just don't know if he's not the centerpiece of a rebuild. He's a piece, but until they get that centerpiece, I just, I don't envision, you know, this team getting out of being a bottom dweller. May, I mean, they have three picks this year, so maybe, you know, it's more bites at the apple. One of those picks is number nine. I, I don't know, but everything except for the current roster checks out for them. And then there's a the whole issue of, okay, how much longer is Popovich going to be around? Who do they bring in? I think they're going to bring in Quinn Snyder, which Corbin and me talked about on the Lakers podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. But we'll have to see. So what's your assessment of the Spurs at this point? I mean, <laughs> I think they're okay. I think obviously their front office is good. I think their coach is going to be solid regardless of if Pop returns another year or – you know, whoever he deems to be the next to carry on that mantle. Uh, we've seen the Spurs coaching tree. We've seen it across the league. Um, I mean, there's way too many to count. Emil Doka, Mike Budenholzer. There's a lot of players from the Spurs uh, coaching tree that have found success in other squads. You can only imagine um, who else is going to take helm of San Antonio. With that being said, I do look at the draft history, history and I'm not exactly excited. It's like they don't actually ever get bad enough for them to get that top pick. You mentioned they're picking ninth. Let's just look back on their most recent draft picks, right? 12th, last year, they got Josh Primo. And we're just looking at their lottery picks. 11th, the year before that, Devin Bissell. Uh, the year before that, uh, Lucas Amonich, not really too much there. But Kelton Johnson, 29th, we'll let that count, right? The year before that, 2018, Lonnie Walker. Again, just outside the lottery. The year before that, Derek White, who's now in Boston, as we know. The year before that, DeJounte Murray, who got picked in the second. In, I mean, the last one of the last picks in the first round. He's 29th overall back in 2016. So we look at these players now. Um, out of them, uh, you look at Devin Bissell, you look at Josh Primo, obviously DeJounte Murray, and Keldon Johnson are a part of that core, right? Uh, the, the verdict's not out on, on Lonnie Walker. Uh, he's going to be restricted free agency, and let's be real, he hasn't had the most consistent nor successful tenure with San Antonio. And, of course, Derek uh, White is no longer a member of the Spurs playing in the East Ground Finals in Boston. So that being said, if – the Spurs are going to have players like this, you know, solid, good players, but not one that's going to say, listen, like, I'm the team leader. Like, we're going to, like, follow my lead here. I'm going to be one of the top, you know, 20 players in the NBA, right? The Spurs don't have that. Haven't had them for a couple of years. I don't think they get that number ninth in this year's draft. So they're going to be another team that is going to hang around, you know, in the, you know, bottom half of the play-in, maybe make the play-in tournament, maybe try to make the first round, never quite get there. And that's going to be the Spurs for the next couple of years, unless they either cash in a free agency, whether that's going restricted free agency, making a run to DeAndre Ayton, you know, just a player that you can rally, like anchor your team around, um, whether that's looking for a trade to bring in a superstar piece, um, or bottoming out and getting a high draft pick next year. You have to bring in that high-end talent that the Spurs currently lack in order to actually change your trajectory. Because right now, this team basketball is solid, you know, C-plus to B-minus players is going about as well as C-minus to B-plus players go. Like, you're not quite bad enough because you have enough, you know, core solid play. You have enough coaching. You have enough time to stay just above, you know, the Detroits, the Orlandos, the Sacramentos of the NBA. But, like, you're nowhere near, as we saw, even the Pelicans of the NBA. You know, you're behind the Pelicans, behind the Timberwolves. You're behind that glove there. So it's like NBA purgatory. I know I went on a long rant, but I like what the Spurs do, but they need to pick a direction, I think. I think staying on the fence has led to decent but not great basketball, which has led to decent but not great results, you know? And it's going to continue until, who knows, do the spot really want to keep coaching, you know, a C-minus team? Yeah, and I think San Antonio is struggling to, you know, pick a direction because they've never had to go that direction before. They've always had so much success. So what they do, the, yeah. play, the playoff streak was, what, 22 in a row, I think it was? Yeah. It was, so it was something absurd. Yeah, they cashed so, out in 1997 when they got Timmy, and they never looked back. Well, the problem is the last couple of years, they probably should have looked back. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I did like some of the moves they made this year by getting flipping Derek White to get the first, flipping Thaddeus Young in an early second to get Toronto's first. They've definitely made some moves that, 
you know, that maybe puts them in that direction that you and I were talking about, that, okay, they really need to commit to this thing. So we'll we'll have to see. But uh, until I see that centerpiece they could build around, I I honestly think I put them there because of draft equity and cap space, but that's really, and organization, but that's really the only reason why. So meanwhile, on the opposite end of the spectrum, my number 18 team, the Utah Jazz. Obviously, Utah has the talent. They were the one seed in the West last year. I just, I envision them blowing it up. I'm going to have a actually six-part article on the Sports Ethos website, breaking down my mock offseason and, you know, talking about each move I make, why I make it. And I really think Utah's going to blow it up. I think they're going to trade Gobert. I think Mitchell's going to request out anyway after that. And what, what do they have after that? I mean, Gobert's going to end up being, let's say they keep him. He's going to be one of the worst contracts in the NBA. He has $170 million more million over the next four years when even though he's an all-time great defender, a lot of the time he gets played off the court in the playoffs. I'm not saying that to be controversial for any sports Spurs fans listening. It's just a matter of fact. Um, teams like Clippers, they play small ball and they exploit him. Um, Donovan Mitchell, sure, maybe I should have put them ahead of the Spurs because the Jazz do have that centerpiece. But at least the Spurs have the draft equity. They have the cap space. The Jazz currently are a tax-paying team who has no shot at a championship, and they're more likely than not to trade one of the two All-Stars. Yeah. They have an aging Mike Conley, a point guard, who... Really slipped this season. Yeah, really slipped this season. Bojan Bogdanovic, sure, that's a piece you could flip. Jordan Clarkson, that's a piece you could flip. Royce O'Neal, that's a piece you could flip. But they just, they don't have a whole lot else. They do have all their own draft picks, mm-hmm. minus um, minus this year's, and that's a good thing. Yeah. But I, I, I suppose I need to see where they go with the Gobert and or Mitchell trade. Like, I don't want to spoil anything, but in my mock offseason, I have Gobert basically going to the Mavs for salary matching and not a whole lot else mm-hmm. because I don't think he's positive value at this point where he would want a draft pick. Donovan Mitchell, I have him going to the next four packages with RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, a whole slew of guys. So that, that that's that's where you would get talking if they decide to trade Donovan Mitchell. And I think we'll the smoke this fire. The Knicks had Worldwide West and Julius Randle sitting courtside at the Jazz playoff games. Mm-hmm. So there's clearly interest there, which of course there is. Of course, of course. I just who do you think? Who would you? I mean, you're. Gonna, I don't want you to spoil everything. You're going to be kind of you know dealing with this uh, later in the um, in your mock off season. Who is more likely to leave? You know, because uh, Gobert can be traded and so can Mitchell. But if you're going to restart, you know, um, if you're going to restart um, your um, team, I think you'd rather go with a 25-year-old Mitchell over, you know, going to be 30 next season or 26-year-old Mitchell over going to be 30 uh, next season, Grudy Gobert. Well, I don't think they trade Mitchell unless you request out. I mean, of course, if they get like, the godfather offer from the Knicks of multiple first, RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel quickly, Deuce McBride. Like, if they really give that full package and those willing to say, look, we'll eat my Conley salary as well, we'll eat Rudy Gay's salary as well, we'll do whatever we have to get Donovan Mitchell there. The Jazz are going to have to think about it. But I think Obey is going regardless. But again, going back to your point, Mitchell has value where he could kickstart a rebuild where Gobert really doesn't. Uh, with that being said, what's your prime destination for a Gobert? You don't got to tell all of them, but I'm curious on like maybe your top two. Let's go with Dallas because okay. Dallas, I think, needs a second guy next to Luca, and they have relatively modest, well, not modest, um, relatively decently large-sized contracts to salary match, like Tim Hardaway Jr.'s on a decelerating contract. They could package him and Dwight Powell to get something done, throw in, like, Josh Green. Maybe those your value for Gobert because he has multiple-time All-Star and all the defensive players of the years to his name. Um, then the second one, 
There's been a lot of speculation about Gobert going to the Charlotte Hornets. I personally don't see it. But, I mean, I feel like every time an all-star center or a borderline all-star center is on the market, everyone points to Charlotte. So, if I'm being honest, the only real... I'm, does Atlanta want to go after him and flip Clint Capella to the Jazz in a deal or third team? Maybe I could envision that as like a pick-and-roll lob threat to Trey Young and Gobert compensates for where Trey Young lacks, and that's the defensive ends. Maybe. But I, I know there's been a lot of smoke with the whole Dallas and Gobert. So that's an easy cop-out for me to say, but I do think that is the most likely <laughs> destination. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. That, that's fair. That, that, that's, that's certainly a good one. I think that, that fit would be good. But I guess the trade value back would be needed, you know? Yeah, and that, that, that's what Utah's going to have to decide. Are they going to want multiple first and multiple young guys for Mitchell, or do they want to build around Mitchell, get off of Gobel's contract, and just, again, build around Mitchell? Mm-hmm. Uh, they have all their own picks, so that's good. They, they don't have this year's because it's owed to Memphis. But if they decide to bottom out or retool and do like a quasi-rebuild type thing that Portland did this year mm-hmm. uh, around Mitchell, then, hey, at least you know they have their own picks. Any team could get out of the luxury tax. So would you, yeah. Would you, would you do this one more year with these two over a quasi-Mitchell rebuild that I personally don't think would be great immediately? Or do you think, hey, it's time to make a change? I would definitely end the Gobert and Mitchell era because I think if this goes on one more year, I think it's definitely ran its course. And I think Mitchell's going to request out if, mm-hmm. you know, he ha- if Gobert looks at him the wrong way. So, <laughs> yeah, so, or, or Gobert gets the seal out and doesn't get the ball. So I, I suppose you do have to gauge, and again, this is me as like a front office guy, you definitely have to at least gauge the trade market of what you could get for Mitchell and, you know, decide, is this worth going or are we going to get a better offer later on or do we want to get a top three pick, bottom out, and then pill Mitchell with that bottom three pick because he's young enough where we could be competing again in three years. So... You would, you would, you definitely have to listen. Is what I'm getting at. I, I, I can't really say because I don't know the offers that'll be there. Yeah. Like it, like if Daryl Morey comes to you, I know I keep talking about the Knicks. So let's go to the Sixers and says, okay, we'll give you Tyrese Maxey. You have to eat Tobias's contract to match it, Tobias Harris. But we'll give you Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thybulle, and a first round pick, and Jaden Springer. I think again, maybe me being a little biased, but I think you have to at least consider it. I don't know how much better Donovan Mitchell is than Tyrese. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mitchell's definitely better than Maxey. But I'm saying like two, three years from now, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, well, I think, you, yeah, I get what you're saying. So, again, yeah, that, yeah. that's just an example of so I, every team. The Knicks I keep talking about, um, teams are going to pony up for Donovan Mitchell. Maybe OKC says, screw it, that's – trade in some of our chips. We have 17 first-round picks in the next seven years. Let's give Lou Dort. I don't know if they include Josh Giddy in there, but if they want to pair SGA and Mitchell, maybe they do, and a whole treasure trove of picks. That has me listening as... And you're getting off the contract with OKC's cap space. So that has me listening as Danny Ainge. So the question is, Danny Ainge, he's a new GM. What direction does he want to go with this team? Yeah, and that's going to be important because I think you're right. Wherever this this path is charted, it's, it's going to be a bold new direction. Yeah, so then let's talk about, I know I just mentioned Atlanta for possible Rudy Gobert destination. This team went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and now I have them ranked 19th in here. Um, I just feel like they, they showed their true colors this year. They're not a defensive-minded team. I don't think the only guy that could really play defense with them is Clint Capella. And mm-hmm. I think he's not long for that roster either. I think Onyeka Kongu is going to, you know, be the next Bam Adebayo in the aspect of that he traded his son Whiteside, Adebayo stepped up and became an all-star that year. I think it's going to be a similar thing where the Hawks trade Capella due to his knee concerns, due to his injury history. Okongu takes that step. But aside from Okongu, what do you have? DeAndre Hunter, injury-prone. Trey Young, yes, he is great, 
offensively, but he's always going to give it up on the other end. So I just, I don't know when Trey Young is your centerpiece and then your second best player is probably John Collins or Okungu next year. Yeah, and I like John Collins personally. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I'm not bashing on the guy by any means, but that's it, it's just the same trend that like, okay, you bottomed out for a year or two and got Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter and Okungu. But you didn't bottom out hard enough because now you're sure you made these Toronto finals last year. You played great. But I, I think that was the outlier rather than this year being the outlier. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I just, it, when you look at that, I definitely agree with you. I think that it was funny. We were talking about, I was talking with a friend about the Dallas Mavericks and they were in the conference finals and somebody tried to bring up, you know, um, Trey Young and his run the year before. And it's like, yes, on the one hand, like, Props to Trey Young and, and, and the Hawks for that, right? On the other hand, like, if you have to ask me which run is more sustainable, I think that I could see the, the Mavericks in a similar situation over the Hawks, given just the fact that, hey, the Hawks took care of business faced with injuries in an ideal matchup in the first round with New York. Let's deal, think about that. New York really didn't have the personnel to take advantage of um, outscoring the Hawks, and they also didn't really have the best matchup for Trey Young, right? Fine. First round done. 76ers. As you saw, the team still has recovered from that run with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So that's two. Then, you know, they had a run with with, with the Giannis, who was injured, um, through some of that series with the Bucks, and that was it, right? I, I just think this year we saw more of what the Hawks probably are, and I think the GM has already spoken out about that, so the team president moves have to be made. I just don't know if – what's the biggest one that you would do? Because I personally would not like to get rid of um, John Collins. I know that he's probably going to be the one that's most likely gone. Just got a contract, his appeal to other teams, his play, the lot of facts he's been marginalized by the Hawks in the past. But like I feel like he's the perfect wing tandem, the the the, the new age calm alone to Trey Young's, you know, Neo John Stockton. Yeah, and again, I said Okongu could be the next Bam out of bio, so I sound a little hypocritical ranking them in 19. If Okongu becomes Bam out of bio, then he's that third guy. But until they prove they have that guy, I mean DeAndre Hunter is extension eligible. Um, they have Bogdan Bogdanovich on a big deal. They just signed Capella to two year extension, which I didn't understand why they did to begin with because they had Okungwu. Um, they have Kevin Herter, who's just starting a four, a new four year deal. They just they have no means to. I guess they had the mid deal contracts and picks, so I guess you always have the means to get better. But I just don't know if they have Hondo's going to put them in the tax. I just I, I don't see the direction of getting to that next level with them yet, and that's my biggest trepidation. And, and that makes sense, and I, I think that's a fair point. I think that's a fair point. Yep. So then, the team I have next is the team the Atlanta Hawks beat in the playoffs that you said last year when mm-hmm. on the way to the conference finals, and that's the New York Knicks. Um, honestly, I think this is pretty generous given you know the Knicks are always the next but I, I do like some of the young pieces I do like the new front office in place um they they do have all their own picks plus they have a boatload of seconds plus they have the Mavs 2023 first and I was the first one I jumped on this podcast during this past offseason and said I don't know what the hell the Knicks are doing because the Knicks were always predicated on let's save our cap space for next year, sign guys to one-year deals that we can flip at the deadline for an asset, and then we have cap space to sign the next star. And then all of a sudden, they have one successful run as a four seed, and they lock up everyone long-term, and all that cap space is gone. So now, like, yeah, they'll link to Jalen Brunson. That's great and all, but it's going to have to be in some super convoluted three-team sign-and-trade because you don't have the cap space to sign them anymore. Because out of one run where you locked up Derrick Rose and you locked up Alec Burks and you locked up Nolan's Noel and you brought in Kemba Walker, like it just, it didn't make sense to me. And sure, I, I suppose, sure. yeah. So I suppose I still have them this high because of one, I factored in market and still New York and they don't really have, and, and of course they brought in Evan Fournier and they don't really have any awful money on the books. So that money will be able to be moved. That if, let's say, in a scenario, Bradley Beal is actually and say, I want to come here, they'll find a way. They have all their picks. They'll find a way. 
if they get Donovan Mitchell, they'll find a way. So, I, I mean, Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish, RJ Barrett, obviously. Mitch Robinson's a free agent. We have to see what they do with him. Deuce McBride, Emmanuel Quickly, Quinn and Grimes. They suddenly have a lot of young guys. True. So True. We're, we're gonna have to see. It's almost like a, a rebuilding movement, if you think about. It. I mean, I know they're not gonna go that way. I don't think any team with Tom Thibodeau is going to fully embrace that. Um, but they should. <laughs> yeah, and they have what the eleventh pick in this year's draft. So that's another lottery guy they're bringing in. So yeah. I, I just I do like the young talent, and I think just because of being in New York and having the young pieces and the draft picks and somewhat cap flexibility they're not going to completely, you know, bottom out. So as a result, I have them 20th. Yep. Yep. I, 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 I can see where you're coming from and I actually don't, I, I agree. So then 21, I have the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. Maybe I have them too low, but my thing is we saw them le- legitimately lose by 35 back-to-back years in the plan. Mm. So clearly this team isn't equipped or prepared yet to take that next step. Um, Defensively, gosh. Yeah, and they're interviewing guys like Terry Stotts and Mike D'Antoni, and those guys are fine coaches, but they're all offensive-minded, so you're really going to double down on that? They did hire, or they did interview Frank Vogel, who's a defensive-minded coach. They did interview um, Kenny Atkinson, got a second interview today. He's pretty neutral. He's better at player development than anything. But... I just, I just don't see. Yeah, they have the one piece in the mellow. I think Miles Bridges is definitely like that John Collins version to the Hornets. But I see this team getting really expensive really quickly. Gordon Hayward's on that negative money contract. They have Rougier on that big deal. Lamelo's going to be due for his rookie extension this summer. They're going to have to sign Bridges to a Neil Max this summer to retain him. PJ Washington's due a rookie Max or um rookie extension. Excuse me. So I just I just see the scene getting expensive really fast to the point where they're already going to have to move off of Hayward. They might have to non-guarantee Kelly Oubre, who I think he's guaranteed he's guaranteed five million of his twelve point six mil. Um, then all of a sudden, where are your wings? So you have no wings and you have no centers. So where do you go from here? Because you're trying to dodge the tax. So I I, I just there's something about the cap sheet that's very off-putting to me. They have all their own picks, so that's good. The flexibility is at least there, potentially. But I think you're right in terms of the money and, and kind of where it is. I don't know. I think on the one hand, it's like they're rebuilding, right? Like, they're going to get a new coach here. You know, LaMelo Ball, I think you got to get the contracts of Gordon Hayward and Mateo Rozier. Uh, P.J. Washington, Mal Bridges are young enough to be the wingmen for uh, LaMelo Ball. They got to get a defensive-minded system or at least a much more potent offensive uh, system in place, but I'm not too upset about it because I just feel like they're just kind of starting out. Like their future is bright, but then like the next year or so, probably not, in my opinion. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I was a little harsh because they do have a lot of exciting young talents. It's just all the exciting young talent is already due to be paid, and you haven't taken that step forward yet. So I think that's my biggest trepidation. And that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I would agree with that. So my 22, I have the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm surprised they're this low. Yeah. Um, Colin Anthony Towns has shown he can't anchor a defense. They're already trying to trade D'Angelo Russell. Anthony Edwards, I was very wrong about. I didn't think Anthony Edwards was going to be this good. And I thought he was going to be. I compared him to like Zach Levine before Zach Levine was Zach Levine. Or like an Andrew Wiggins, where sure he's going to be an empty stats guy on a bad team. Since then, both of those guys, Levino Wiggins respectively, had developed into all stars. So I'm going to retract that statement and that comp. But Anthony Edwards, in his own right, has developed into the same. I thought he was going to be a shot chalker, empty stats on a bad team that looked better than he was because of his athleticism. And I'm wrong about that. So maybe between him and Cap, they have those two pieces. But other than that, I mean, they're too good to bottom out, so they're not going to get that third piece unless they could somehow take some first and D'Angelo Russell or some first with Malik Beasley and Patrick Beverly to get that third guy. But I just, I don't know. As I said, the West is just so deep still when everyone's healthy. 
And this is just Minnesota's what second time making the playoffs in 15 years. Yeah. So, yeah. so and I think the, the lack of organizational success, they announced today that they're looking still for a top president of basketball ops, which makes me think they're not happy with sucked in Gupta, which he seemed to have done a great job this year, but uh, yeah, I think maybe they just, it, it's, it's, um, um, where is it? I think maybe it's more of the fact that and I get this. You have an interim GM, right? Um, think of what Joe Cronin for the Blazers, which I'll get to, I'm sure. Um, you know, and, and, and the team likes who he is and he stepped up and did what he had to do. Right. But they want to go in a different direction. I don't think it's a knock on Gupta because I don't really think he had much of an opportunity to do much of anything, but maybe they want to go in a different direction. I think the biggest thing the Wolves need is a power forward because I think you started, um, um, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, who is a nice energy guy, but I don't think he's a starter. Uh, and then you had, of course, um, Jay McDaniel, who I like, but not as a power forward. I think he is better and going to be a, a much better player at the small forward position, which would bump, of course, Anthony Edwards down to two. And then I guess D'Lo, and that's another question. What happens to D'Lo? Going on an expiring deal, upcoming season, obviously was already on the outs. Um, after sitting most of that deciding game, really had a horrid series against the Grizzlies, and it's probably not going to an extension. You know, friendship with Carly Towns be, be, be doggone, right? So what happens there? Do you trade him? Um, what value does he have if you do? You know, it, it, there's some questions there as well. Um, but I think that maybe they like Gupta but want to go a different direction. I mean, I guess it is a knock if they don't believe that you're the guy for the job after having had the opportunity, but I also like sometimes that, hey, you say you're going to have an interim GM, and that guy's just going to be that, you know? Yeah, and D'Angelo Russell wasn't even playing, like, crunch time into them. Like, he was benched down the stretch. So, I can't envision any scenario where – I mean, I can't envision a scenario where they keep him just because no one wants D'Angelo Russell for that kind of money. But they, they lack playmakers. They lack defense. And I just don't see them improving those areas. So, uh, that, yeah, that's my biggest trepidation. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think you're right about that. Uh, I guess it's just a matter of which one gets fixed first. Now, my, my probably most controversial one, and you and I talked about this last week after we recorded the pod, but I have the Chicago Bulls at 23. Okay, um, okay. I, I know that they were extremely successful in the beginning of the year. I know they have some star-powered names. But this is a team that had, what, the third worst record in the NBA after the, um, after the All-Star break last year? And that's before you factor in, they said Lonzo Ball, they were very concerned about his knee. Zach Levine is getting surgery on the knee that he previously tore his ACL on. Yeah. These knees, man. These knees. The bee's knees. I mean, (laughs) and then DeMar DeRozan, yes, he was great this year, but let's say you have Levine coming off knee surgery. You have Lonzo, which you don't even know when he's going to play. Sure, Patrick Williams is a piece that could develop. Kobe White is a trade chip that you get somewhere else. Nikola Vucevic was awful last year. Figure you trade him this year because he's going to be a free agent at the end of next year, and you have no means to replace him unless you're going to sign him to a more team-friendly deal. So I just I, – I, I don't know. The offense was so staggered at times with Vucevic playing in the post. DeRozan's obviously not an athlete. Levine is obviously an athlete, but – I don't know, not elite shooters. It's just uh, those, and again, what do you do on defense? You have Lonzo and Caruso, two of the best perimeter defenders in the league. But sure, Vucevic can anchor a league average defense, but if you're not elite on offense, you're not elite on defense, and you have no signs of really improving. Ayo DeSumo was a revelation for them this year. But so maybe that makes Lonzo Ball a little bit expendable if his knee acts or flares up again. But I just, I'm not as high on the Bulls, and I honestly think they might be more of the team they were after the All-Star break than before the All-Star break. And that's a huge concern, especially with Zach Levine getting knee surgery while he's a free agent and do a max extension, and he's probably not going to settle for anything less. I mean, yeah, that it's, it's, it's certainly uncomfortable. You know, um, when you break it down like that, yeah, all of a sudden, I am a lot more worried than I was originally, so I will give you that. Um this is just, it's one of those things where I think if, let's say, Lonzo is, you know, 
kind of healthy, right? Or let's say Lonzo have a healthy season next year. This knee, let's let's assume this knee thing is going to be a continued process, right? Um, but that he is at least going to have a mostly healthy season next year. You bring Zach Levine back on a max because that's what he's going to demand. There's not a whole lot of interest in the marketplace you'd imagine for that. Um, outside of some creative side and trade opportunities, right? So you bring him back in. Let's say he has a year that's pretty solid. And let's let's assume again that you have another two years of, you know, above average to decent play from Noron DeRozan. Does that make the Bulls higher in your rankings if they are apparently a top five team in the East for the next two years? I mean, what? We're talking about maybe a few spots, but I just – I don't see the championship ceiling – and they made moves as if they were ready to compete for a championship. And for a little bit, it looked like they might have. But they don't have the 23 first. I mean, it's protected top four, so maybe they do. But then they owe it another year to Orlando for the Vucevic trade. They owe San Antonio 27 first from the DeRozan trade, signing trade. And they gave up multiple seconds to get Lonzo Ball and his bum knees. So it's like they, they made moves. They traded Franz Wagner, the pick that became Franz Wagner and another first to get Vucevic, mm-hmm. which has been a disaster. They did the sign and trade to for DeRozan, which looks okay, but given that they were one and done in the playoffs, still doesn't look ideal. And now you Zach Levine's status is up in the air. I think Zach Levine's gonna take the money because I think the Bulls are gonna offer it. And given that he's having knee surgery, he's gonna take the money. And if he wants to request out later, he will. But I I just, I don't see Levine staying long-term if he doesn't see the potential of winning. And I don't see that in the Bulls' future. I I mean, I'm not as low as you are on it, but I I get where you're coming from. I mean, if Patrick Williams and Ayo DeSumo both become like borderline all-stars, I'll eat crow on this. But they just need so many things to go right in order to reach that ceiling. Yeah, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I see, yeah, I see what you mean. I'm not going to lie and say I don't. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but it is something where more likely than not, I just don't think they're going to fall off the face of the earth. I think in the next two years, they'll be okay. Injuries are going to kind of be an unfortunate reality of the squad because you are betting on people with, as you said so eloquently, bum knees, you know? But when they are on the court, they play well, you know? That unit we barely saw a lot of, but, you know, we've seen lots of healthy season before, or at least more healthy seasons in the past. So I think when you have a five of Lonzo, Caruso, um, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and let's say you even move off of Nikola Vucevic and get something back, or, you know, he'll be off the books in a little bit. Let's say Pat Williams takes over that role. Like, I think that there's still enough pieces there, one healthy, that those guys are going to be good. And yes, while they have knee injuries, like they're not like a chronic going to miss like 40 games a year, you know? Like, it's, it's a troubling trend right now. But I don't think it's like an absolute, I don't know. I don't think it's like the absolute killer that we may think it feels like right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're going to have to see. They, they have names on paper, but I just, I need to see them put it together. And maybe it's recency bias. Maybe because they have the third worst record in the league after the All-Star break. Maybe it's that. But, mm-hmm. okay. And... Maybe I had to move this next team up a little bit because I put these rankings together weeks ago before we recorded pod one. Now that the draft lottery has happened and I have an OKC at number 15, I might be too low putting the Orlando Magic 24. I mean, the Magic have a lot of pieces. Franz yeah, Vag- they do. Yeah, Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs, Wendell Carter, Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, Jonathan Isaac. Um, Mobamba's a free agent. I think he's gone now that they got the number one pick. Um, but they just have Chuma Okiki, RJ Hampton. They just have so many freaking bites at the apple, which is why I ranked OKC so much higher. Because they have all their own picks. They have cap space. If they let Mobamba walk and don't even like make him a qualifying offer, just let him be unrestricted, I think they said they have $32 million in cap room this year. With the, with the number one pick on the book. Yeah, I mean, yep. I, listen, I would make a run DeAndre Aiden, to be honest with you, if I'm Orlando, because whoever you get uh, outside of Chet Holgram is going to be a four. Yeah, and I honestly don't know who Orlando wants. I'm actually doing um a mock draft piece for Sports Ethos as well on the site. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. like, who do I put number one? Because, you know, Hammond is the guy who drafted Giannis. He loves length and wingspans and 
long guy. So Holmgren fits. And Wendell Carter is not going to preclude you from taking Holmgren when we saw Wendell Carter play the four next to um, Mo Bamba this year. But at the same time, Jabari Smith is most likely the best player available. And they do also like versatile guards like we've seen with Jonathan Isaac and Franz Wagner. So I, I just, I, I don't know. But I think now that Isaac missed significant time and his guaranteed money is so much less now, I, I think they should be inclined to take Smith pairing with Wagner, pairing with Wendell Carter, Fultz, Anthony, Suggs. Then all of a sudden, you know, you have squad and you have all your picks and cap space to really go forward. So, yeah, maybe in that scenario, you package some of those guys and DeAndre Aiden would make sense. I was going to say, don't you think that the um, Magic have a plethora of guards anyway? I mean, you just brought Jalen Suggs. You still have Cole Anthony. You have RJ Hampton. You have Markel Fultz. Uh, I mean, you have a few guys in, the, in those spots there that is Markel Fultz part of your future? Is, is he going to be sticking around with Jalen Suggs? Is Cole Anthony the odd man looking in? Like, like there's there's still some, some – some, there's a glut there, don't you think? Yeah, there's definitely a glut at every position they have. And, you know, again, more bites at the apple, they're going to hit on more guys. But if you, Phoenix, let's say I'm Orlando and I come to you and I say, okay, DeAndre Aiden wants to sign here out grace. So, which he can. But the thing is, he's restricted. The Suns could match. So, more likely than not, it's going to be a sign and trade, even if it's to a team with cap space. So, let's say, I don't know, Orlando offers Mo Bamba in a double sign and trade. So, you're getting Mo Bamba. You're getting Cole Anthony. You're getting, let's say, Chuma Okiki, and then some some kind of protected fist. That's a pretty good haul, I would say. I would agree with that. I, I, I see the framework of that for sure. So then, I mean, then Phoenix all of a sudden has what? Bamba, they get a guard for when Chris Paul retires and Cole Anthony to take the reins. Um, they still have Devin Booker. They have Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson. Tumo Kiki plays a four a little bit for them when Jay Crowder leaves the following year. I mean, I, I think that's a feasible scenario that you mentioned. I, I, would, I, I like that you brought that up. I mean, if they're going to make a run, if, if Phoenix still, I mean, mind you, the way Phoenix kind of more or less didn't really make DeAndre Aiden a huge part of their offense, like Bo Bamba fits perfectly what they're looking for. Maybe not from a playmaking perspective, they're looking for a more cerebral big, but a guy who can shoot the three, a guy who can rebound, do the basic tenets of being a big, you know, open the floor a little bit more, and, and maybe blend in in terms of a low-usage big alongside Phoenix's more ball-dominant um, forwards. I mean, guards. Yeah, I like, and honestly, even if they took home Grin, we saw them playing college next to Drew Time, so I, I suppose it wouldn't be impossible to have both of them. Um, that being Holmgren and Aiden, but I don't know. Orlando, I think, definitely needs to move up the rankings. Then we're not even incorporating Wendell Carter Jr. I know we mentioned him, but that's another piece they could flip elsewhere, provided they get that center. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, Orlando's definitely one of the most fascinating teams this offseason. 25, I have the Indiana Pacers. And they, the my biggest issue with a lot of these teams, like, like for the Spurs, for example, they didn't have that centerpiece. And the Pacers definitely didn't have that centerpiece either. They were, sure, they were getting six or seven seasons in the East every year and taking teams to six games in the round one of the playoffs before losing. But... They finally got that centerpiece. At least I believe they did in Tyrese Halliburton. So I, I'm very interested to see what they do. Rick Carlisle isn't exactly a rebuilding coach, but they they do have that future Cleveland's first. They got Phil Levert. They got the first pick in the second round, so it's basically a first round pick from Cleveland Phil Levert as well. They have all their own picks. I mean they have some semblance of cap space. They'll cap space this year and they have no long-term money. I, I envision them even flipping like a buddy here on a Malcolm Brogdon. I know I talked about this in the Lakers episode, but for Russell Westbrook's expiring contract and they'll get the Lakers 27-29 first. They shed salary after next year. They get two additional firsts for a team that could be 
horrible, who knows, in 27-29. And, you know, all of a sudden, you're in business with a centerpiece in Halliburton and a whole bunch of assets. That's a blueprint for a pretty good team. I mean, again, it depends on how how much stock you have in Halliburton. I, I live on Halliburton Island, so I, I'm biased. That, uh, I mean, I, I get that. that I, I like Halliburton. I don't know if he's that guy yet for me. Um, that I'm like, you know what? You have him. You're building around. Like, I don't know. Like, would you take him over? Actually, I'm going to do a hypothetical of that kind of. I was going to say X Y Z guard. I think he's a solid. He's a solid guard. I just want to see a little more with him. Maybe one year, this upcoming year, with him with at the helm of a team and see if he's that kind of guy. That's all I'm asking. I just don't know if you know versatility wise, he's a very solid piece and a part of the core. But is he someone that you're like, hey, I'm building around Tyrese Halliburton? I don't want to jump too far on that yet. Which is why I want to see what they do with Malcolm Brogdon, whether, you know, he's going to be there and play out his contract. They just signed to an extension, a two-year extension. So I, I want to see whether they trade him or they have a whole lot of guys because we haven't even mentioned Chris Duarte. So it's going to be interesting to see. They have Ricky Rubio's bird rights. They have TJ Warren's bird rights. They could flip both of those guys in a sign and trade to get more assets. Isaiah Jackson, I think, is the guy they want to build around to be the center of the future. So where does that leave? Miles Turner, that gives you another asset. So they have pieces they could flip to get additional assets. And then what they have, what, the seventh, sixth pick in this year's draft. So if all of a sudden they take um, a Shaden Sharp on A.J. Griffin, that could be the centerpiece. And then Halliburton is more of a compliment to counter your arguments. That's true. That's true. You make a good point there. I can't even argue that. I think it's just one of those things I want to wait and see just some more. Give me some more of a a larger sample size on it. Yeah, and again, I I don't fault you for that. And then my number 26, I have the Detroit Pistons. I I think they have the centerpiece as well with Cade Cunningham. Um, I don't know how many people are going to dispute that, even though he did have a pretty rocky rookie year. Um, I, I mean... They have what? They uh, The lottery just happened, so I'm blanking. They have the fifth pick, so they fell a little bit. But they have Cade. They have the fifth pick. Jeremy Grant, I'm sure they're going to flip at this deadline since they didn't pass deadline. Um, I still think Killian Hayes could be a player. I like Sadiq Bay. I like Isaiah Stewart. So I like these guys, but I don't love these guys, and that's the biggest issue. That's sure they have Cade, but outside of Cade in the fifth pick, what do you have? I think they're going to pay Marvin Bagley, who isn't that good. I think that Killian Hayes hasn't shown me anything, so even though I like him, Sadiq Bey is a starting quality guy, but he's not the second or third best guy on the rebuilding team. I mean, on the rebuilding team he is, but I'm saying like he's not like the second or third building block. So I need to see what they get for Jeremy Grant. If they could get like that seventh pick for Jeremy Grant from Portland, which is a ton of speculation, Grant going to Portland, then all of a sudden you have Cade five and seven, then maybe you're in business. I mean, I like that. Do you think that, um, do you think that Grant is worth the seventh pick? No, but I think Portland's desperate to do something. I mean, we saw them go the opposite way while Dame was hurt. But they have a trade exception that Grant fits into. And I don't know. Like, how ready is the seventh pick going to be to contribute when Dame's 34 years old? True, I mean, yeah. True. If, I mean, if, yeah. If they get Keegan Murray, then sure, he'll impact right away. But he's not going to, you know, be the second or third guy behind Anthony Simons and Dame. Jeremy Grant. I can I could see the Blazers and Cronin selling themselves on okay, Dame's back healthy. Let's re-sign Nurchik. Let's give Simons his um his money. And then let's trade for Jeremy Grant and then bring back Josh Hart. All of a sudden that's a pretty formidable starting five. I mean, that is a pretty yeah. I mean, but for, for what? Like a second round in the West? You like that's not a championship. No, no, no. Five, I, right? yeah, and that's what they that's what they were before. So true. I just, if that's the case, then I think you need to go full rebuild. Like if you're just trying to move all these these chairs, if we're shuffling chairs just to get exactly where you were with CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic and the others, then like what have you done? You know what I mean? Just move personnel. 
I get where you're coming from. I think that just kind of illustrates almost the futility I see in Portland's rebuilding efforts right now. And that's why, again, I'm not even transitioning to them yet because there's one team in between them, but that's why I pulled in at 28. I hate teams that can't pick a direction to go. Where it's <laughs> right. like, okay, we're going to compete. Oh, we're going to do this quasi-rebuild. Oh, no, we're going to compete again. Oh, no, we're not going to blow it up. It's like, you got to make a decision. So that's why I do have pulled in 28. Um, but, yeah, with Detroit, I, I think they are going to trade Grant. And Grant's eligible for a four-year, $112 million extension. And I pray for them that they don't – Sign them to that. They have a ton of cap space. They, they're another one of the big suitors in DeAndre Aiden and Jalen Brunson. If somehow they could pull off that heist and get both of them with the fifth pick, then all of a sudden you have Cade and Brunson, where similar to the dynamic of what Luca and Brunson have now, or Brunson playing next to a bigger playmaker, and they get DeAndre Aiden, that, that's far-fetched, but I'm saying if they could pull it off... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just the potential for what they can do, I suppose. But I, I just think the cupboards are pretty bare there right now. That makes sense. That makes sense, and and and, and, and I, uh, totally understandable as well. Ah, uh, man, I'm depressed. Yeah, so I have Houston 27, and I said we are Portland 28, so I'll go back to Portland. Um, Houston, I don't know. They should have traded Christian Wood. They didn't. They should have traded Eric Gordon. They didn't. I do like some of those pieces. I don't think Kevin Porter Jr. is the long-term point guard there, and I do think they should have taken Evan Mobley over Jalen Green. But I'm not going to fault them for their mistakes. It's just more so, okay, what can they do to upgrade? And sure, Christian Wood could probably net you a first. I don't even know. Call me. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, Call uh, me. I don't want to say hypocritical, but I'm skeptical. Uh, that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. That Jalen Green is that guy when I know Evan Mobley is. I mean, Jalen Green stepped up in a major way in the second half. Like, he did, but well, playing alongside playing alongside Kevin Porter Jr., they still don't have any playmaking. Sangoon is the center of the future. Once they trade Wood, he can't defend for a lick. They have Garuba, who they drafted in tandem with Sangoon because he can defend. But I just. I don't know. I need to see what they do with some of these veterans on this roster before I really fairly assess them. Mm-hmm. I want to see what they do with that third pick. I'm assuming it's going to be Bancaro, which all of a sudden when you have Jalen Green, Bancaro, Sangoon, the 17th pick in the draft, and Kevin Porter Jr., all of a sudden you have something. So, yeah, 27 is probably too low given what they're going to do. But what they have right now, I'm not thrilled with. That's fair. And it's, I mean, it's, it's what they build up to. You know, right now, as they stand, if we're looking at them starting year five, or the five-year window starting right now, yeah, they're a year behind. So I understand them being set back a little farther in your rankings. Yeah, and that that's ultimately why I put them there. And then in contrast, we have, as I said, pulled the 28, and I'm going to lump them with my number 29, the Washington Wizards. These are two teams who for years – they they're basically both three years behind on when they should have started rebuilding. Portland finally gave into it a little bit this year, but it doesn't seem they're going to fully commit to it. And Washington, I think, just needs to do it. I think Washington, I think Bradley Beal's gone. I think he's going to end up a Boston Celtic. I think that it's basically what the Hornets did with Kemba Walker, where they held him and held him and held him until he reached free agency. Then they didn't offer him the Supermax because they didn't think they don't want to hamstring themselves to that. And then the guy leaves and goes to the Celtics. And then they're left with nothing, no assets to show for him. And it's just going to be a nightmare when they could have traded John Wall, Bradley Beal three years earlier and really got the rebuild underway, but they chose not to. I see what you mean, but what you said, how do you think, okay, I, you, I agree with all your points, but you lost me for a moment at the beginning when you said that, uh, you just, just straight up said it, uh, Bradley Beal to the Celtics? I do think so. I think it's going to be a sign and trade because his relationship with Tatum, how close they are. I think Beal's leaving Washington and these cast space teams was not really anywhere to, you know, sign. No, Bradley Beal's not going to leave Washington to go to and leave that fifth year and the extra 50 million guaranteed on the table to play in San Antonio or Orlando. Maybe he would go to Memphis. Memphis is the only like contender with cap space, but We'll see when I release my mock, um, part one of my mock offseason, 
that's my big move is Bradley Beal and Assange trade to the Celtics, where again, they, they have Christos Porzingis and then Kyle Kuzma can take Scott Wapo, Hachimura, Dene. They have nothing else. And then maybe if you like Corey Kispert or I'm Daniel Gafford. But they just, they should have started rebuilding three years ago and they're going to have almost nothing to show for their efforts. Maybe they're going to first round pick in that sign and trade for Beal. But I mean, they're essentially going to let him walk for nothing. True. And, True. Even, and even if you ask me, what well, does it change anything they resign Beal? No, it doesn't because they're going to sign a player who looks like he had a huge decline this year to a max contract. Up until he's what, 36 years old, 37 years old, mm-hmm. when quite frankly, teams are going in the opposite direction. That's true. That's true. So, um, that's why I have Washington 29. I, I can't, I, I mean, they need a point guard. They still don't have their, if you think Bradley Beal's gone, who do you think stepping up? Like, you made excellent points. I actually agree with you toward the back in this one because, like, they've been in this, like, weird, lukewarm type of. I don't even know what you want to call it, purgatory, but they're like sinking even further than that. I think it's become more and more clear. And that brings me to number 30, the Sacramento Kings. Uh-oh. I mean, the Kings, it's what, 17 years now, longest playoff drought ever, I think it is. I mean, they, they had Halliburton, and again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse on Halliburton, but I think if you traded a guy like Halliburton, you had to get like a superstar quality player. And I feel horrible for DeMontis Sabonis because I keep just saying how awful that trade was. Sabonis is a two-time All-Star. He's a fine player. He's a great, big, great passing, playmaking big man who could just fool a little bit. But I just don't think Halliburton should have been traded for that caliber of a player. And De'Aaron Fox has regressed. I just, the Kings still, they've been tanking for so long that they need to start winning. But at the same time, they need to keep tanking in order for future success. So I just, I don't see them going absolutely anywhere these next five years. With Fox and Sabonis as the centerpieces. I I feel you on that. I feel you on that. It's one of those, I just, they're both, I don't know. They're they're both um, good players, but I just don't know if they are. But they're not a centerpiece. Neither of them are a centerpiece. Exactly. I just... Yeah, I, I just, I agree with you. <laughs> They're not the centerpiece, and, like, if what are they led collectively? Like, what are they led you to, you know? Uh, the Montes Bonas had a lot of success in the East, right? And De'Aaron Fox is a, I don't know, middle-of-the-pack point guard? That's, that's not a whole lot there, you know? But I think whoever they take in number four could be that centerpiece. If they get, like, a Jade and Ivy or... I'm assuming it's going to be Jaden Ivey as of now because I think the Rockets go Banchero and a combo with Smith and Holmgren go one and two. But then all of a sudden you have Ivy, Fox, Davion, Mitchell, Sabonis. Something a little bit to get excited about if you're a Kings fan, but I just, I I don't, I I don't trust this front office. They don't have a coach. Oh, they, yeah, they never mind. They just hired Mike Brown. Um, <laughs> wow, disrespect to Mike Brown. No, I'm playing. I actually like Mike Brown. I, I think he's what the Kings need because the Kings have been so atrocious defensively for years. I think he's going to establish a culture there, and that's what they need. Um, so, but all of a sudden, Jaden Ivey and De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell, you play that three-ball lineup, you're the fastest team in the league. Teams aren't going to be able to stop you in transition. So, sure. There's some positives and some light at the end of the tunnel for every team in the league. But I, I know I shouldn't be holding the 17-year playoff drought for ranking where we're ranking the no. future. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a body of evidence. Yeah. But you're ranking the organizations themselves, and they haven't had any success as an organization anytime recently. That, that's true. That's true. Uh, again, we can't. You you sell you, so, you told no lies. It's one of those things we have to consider. It, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it sucks. It really does, but it also is one of those things. It is what it is. Yeah. No, you're right. And I I, I, I would have been interested to see if the Kings hadn't done that trade, the Halliburton for Sabonis swap. What would they do in number four? They would almost have to trade up or trade down because they're not going to take Ivy when they have 
Mitchell, Fox, and Halliburton. There'll just be no conceivable way. So I, I know it's a moot point, but I'm just very – when I saw they got number four, I said, ooh, I know that trade pro- wasn't the best for them, but it might be best off that they did it if they're going to get IBM. Yeah, I hear what you mean. I hear what you mean. I mean, like, maybe they would have taken Shaden Sharp or AJ Griffin over Ivy anyway, but I, I, I don't know. But we'll have to see with the Kings. So um, this concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. Be on the lookout. As I said, I'm writing roughly nine articles over the next month for the site pertaining to my mock offseason and my mock draft, where I'm going to dive, do a little bit deeper dive into the rookie class, who I think fits where with what team, and yeah, how that pertains to the offseason and how it's going to affect free agent signings. I'm going to kind of incorporate the two articles. So, Corbin, thank you so much for coming on. You're everyone's favorite guest. Um, oh, anything you, you want to plug? I just want to say thank you for having me back on, man. You know I love your show. I love your work. So it's always an honor to be on here with you just talking basketball, one of my favorite things to do, you know? Um, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. All of my work there um, will be on there for sure. Um, hopefully future collaboration with you as well, my friend. This is always a blast. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that's where you can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. And again, Stephen, thank you so much for having me on. And you guys can find me at Bird Rights Pod. And I will talk to you guys next episode where I'm going to be doing a mock draft special. So I'll talk to you guys then.